Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And here we are. We have been on the road as fast as we could go to get to our phone this morning. Um, we were a work crew this morning down at our church, our local church. Yeah, you know, um, we live in a world where a lot of people do a lot of cleaning for us. You know, we have, we have maids in hotel rooms. Linda's always great to leave a tip for the maids. And, um, you know, we try to keep our own house clean, but it's pretty interesting and fun to go clean the church where you go every Sunday. And why not? I mean, I kind of I kind of enjoyed that just from the standpoint of, my goodness, we've used this church every Sunday for 30 years or more, and what a, what a privilege to get to clean it up a little, you know, and uh, put in a little work. In fact, I kind of like the old days when, when members of congregations built their own churches and had to come out and learn how to lay bricks and how to, you know, nail up two-by-fours and put on shingles and then when they got that church done, that was really their church. We don't do that anymore. I kind of wish we did, don't you, Linda? I know. Those were the days when you really appreciated where you went. And when they quit uh, laying bricks, they donated a lot of money out of their own pockets and their own savings. And that makes a difference, too. I think it gives you a little more ownership. ownership a little skin in the game. And I... You know, every time when I go to church tomorrow and I go to use that drinking fountain and it's all sparkly clean, I'll have a nice feeling. And when I open the door to go in and uh, there's no smudges on the windows anymore, I'll just have a kind of a nice feeling. I think that was so good for you, honey. Now that I know you know how to do that, I'm putting you to work here. Hey, come on. Hey, but we've had a, I don't know why we haven't mentioned right off the top, this is an exciting day for us because... We woke up this morning to an, a text from our youngest daughter who lives in London who told us that the uh, gender of the new grandchild we're expecting, the new baby they're expecting, is a boy. Oh, man, honey, you shouldn't have told that secret until we told him how the buildup was to well, the yeah. craziness of I mean, you know, announcing that. Yeah, this is crazy. Have, have you listeners ever heard of a reveal party? <laughs> I haven't. But, <laughs> we have now. Um, it was so fun. They just decided that... They live in London, by the way. They live in London, right in central London, and they went to the ultrasound last Thursday. Thursday, yeah, so two days ago. They told the technician they did not want to know what the sex of the baby was. They wanted him to write it down in an envelope and seal the envelope, and then give it to them. And so. they were actually so nervous about it, they had them do it twice. So they each had an envelope, a sealed envelope. In case one of them lost the envelope, they would still have a sealed envelope revealing what the gender was. But then the exciting part, Linda. Well, then the exciting part, they took it to a candy store. They took, uh, actually, they've been planning. A confectioner, if you want to be British. Well, first of all, they they took a long time to find just the right confectioner it, no what did they put it in oh a pinata they had the <laughs> confectioner fill up a pinata with either pink or blue candy depending on what only the confectioner the confectioner at that point knew so he's they just handed him the pinata which they got on amazon and then they said to the confectioner put put this 
you know, color, either pink or blue candy in this, and we don't want to know what it is. Just give us, Seal give it us up. the pinata. Seal it up and give us the pinata. Yeah, so they did that. Then Saturday morning, they invited their friends and their primary class. They teach a little primary class in their church, so they invited them over, and one of the little kids got to smack that pinata. <laughs> First. And and I guess she was a little kid. She didn't smack it very very hard, and only one candy fell out on the first blow, but it was blue. Blue, which is so amazing because both parents were sure it was a girl. But not me. I knew it was a boy. I put in my vote. They had all of us put in our votes, and I think there were more who thought it was a girl than a boy, though, honey. There were, for sure. But the good part for us is... Now, this makes 14 girls and 14 boys. Ah, parody. I love parody. I love <laughs> balance. I love symmetry. And now we're going to have it, for at least until the next grandchild comes along, right? Right. I mean, it doesn't always go that way. I have a dear friend who has tons of grandchildren, over 30, and I think about 25 of them are boys. So yeah, that's, that defies the law of averages. I, I keep telling them, just keep going, and eventually you'll get to parity, you know, if you have enough. I don't think it's going to work on that one. The law of averages will be there. But isn't it, what a blessing to, even though they're far away, we're going to go to London in April, and we'll get to see our pregnant daughter, and then Linda, of course, is going to be there in July the worst possible timing, because of that's course. usually when we have our family reunion. But, hey, some things take, take priority, priority over everything. It's going to be so fun. They're they're delivering in a hospital where her view is Big Ben and Westminster and the Westminster Bridge. You can't beat that for a first baby. So what a deal. I mean, you know, there, there's something about first babies, isn't there, which actually is a pretty good segue into what we want to <laughs> oh, well, did you hear that when I when I said first baby? It just struck me like an allergy, and I had to cough. <laughs> well, um, it really is amazing the difference a first baby makes in a family, isn't it? Yeah, and that's that is a good segue because you know who your first child is can make <laughs> an enormous difference. Take it, Linda, take it. All right. You go off and cough a little bit. Um, So anyway, it really is so true. Uh, And, you know, it can go either way. Our first child was the perfect first child. I shouldn't say perfect as a little child because, I mean, having a three-year-old and a nine-month-old here for a week with just Richard and I, as we mentioned last week. Which we spent the whole show on last week because we were were just trying to recover. I mean, that was crazy. No, we weren't recovering. They were still here. They were still here. Yeah, exactly. And and as much as we adore, love, cherish, and, and think these kids are the best kids in the whole world, we were so glad to put them on the plane on uh, Tuesday morning and it was so fun to have them but you realize the difference that a first child makes I started this thought because Sarah our oldest child now is the perfect oldest child but when she was two when she was two and three she was every day in the refrigerator making pies out of stuff. And then she'd bring in mud from the outside and put in the pies. And she was <laughs> writing all over the walls. And I just thought, how are we going to survive this kid? But you know what? That creativity has turned into something wonderful for us as an oldest child. So really, we're, we're going to kind of go two directions today in the show. And one is 
to talk about how important birth order is in your family and how how much difference the first and second child can make. We want to talk about that a little. And then we want to talk about how uh, the interesting mathematics, that is, you have a third child or a fourth child, the difficulty does not go up proportionally. In other words, if you have two and you say, I'm just dying here, I don't know how I could, I don't know how anyone could have a third child because two are running me ragged. If I had a third one, it would be 50% harder, which would push me right over the edge. But as it turns out, it doesn't work that way. And for many families, uh, the fourth child actually is the beginning of a reverse trend where it begins to get a little easier, partly because the older children become, uh, to use a management term, they become sort of middle management in the family and begin helping. In fact, we dumped off these two cute little grandkids. We had to go give a speech in Texas. You shouldn't say it that way. Well, we dumped them off. It was it was a relief. <laughs> Eight days, Linda. We dumped them off with Saren, our oldest, and her five kids up in Ogden. And, boy, it was easier for them for a simple reason. They had all these teenage, young, adolescent kids who loved babies and who wanted to take care of them all the time. And they were not alone like we were alone when we had those two. So, anyway, that's kind of an outline of some of the things we want to cover today. Well, I, I do have to say that the kids, those older kids go to school, and so you end up with little preschoolers on your own no matter what, although she did keep um, her 13-year-old daughter home for a day and a half when the kids were there. And when I called her after the daughter had gone back to school, I called her to see how she was doing. We were down in Texas, and she said... Um, Mom, I can't talk right now. I'm feeding these kids. It's a full-time job. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And totally, totally understood because we had already been there. Ah, the dynamics of kids. So, you know, this is not going to be a show on birth order in the technical sense, although it is interesting that usually, not always, but usually we find that the oldest child has certain characteristics. They're usually kind of organized. They usually kind of take charge. A lot of times they're kind of type A little kids and that's a good thing because that oldest child and again there there's good and bad here we know some families the oldest child was very very difficult and maybe made some bad decisions and maybe set a bad precedent and boy that makes it hard with the second and third and other children because the tendency is to follow the example of that first child. It's so true. And we always say to families, if you've got a real, you know, a, a good first child who seems to have kind of an innate uh, tendency to do the right thing and to help out, and partly parents bring that about. I really think that. I think parents who say, look, although they're, you don't have complete control over it, kids come who they are. But a lot of times if you if you say, you know, you're a, an amazing, you have a, an incredibly important position in this family as the oldest child because your siblings are going to follow you and do what you do. And we're so grateful that you're setting a good example and you build them up in a way that they feel the responsibility for it. Now, you can do that too much, can't you, Linda? You can put so much weight and burden on it on a child by telling them that too much that it almost works uh, against you. Yeah, we had to be very careful not to have our oldest two girls, although they loved babysitting when they were 11, 12, 13. Then we we really got babysitters a lot after that because they have a life of their own and they 
can't feel like they're tied to taking care of little children all the time. Although our oldest daughter does think that she raised our children. There is no way we can talk her out of that. <laughs> um, and she do, has done a great job. And there's there's advantages to that because, you know, she dearly loves her siblings, her younger siblings. She takes care of them. She makes sure that, um, in fact, they call her a lot for advice because she's a wise person and she can get it. She's like her dad. She can really figure out the situation and figure out what to do about it when there's a problem. So it really is amazing the difference an oldest child can make. And the second child, too. And a lot of times you see parents report a huge contrast between the oldest and the second one. The second one, the dynamic is different, and oftentimes the second child's a little freer spirit and a little less type A and a little more right-brained and so on. But Let's take a brief break, and when we come back, let's talk a little bit about the dynamics of two, three, four, five children and how life changes in a family as we have an additional child. And there are some surprises here. It's not as simple or as mathematical as you might think. We'll be right back after this break. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back. We're talking about children, grandchildren, birth order, um, all kinds of fun things today because it affects all of us who are parents and grandparents. So let me just say, Linda, that I think, um, again, and one reason we love doing this show every week is we're with parents all the time. Often in groups where we're speaking or presenting, and we get some interesting feedback, and it's kind of fun to try to digest it and pass some of it on. And we've had some people recently say to us, "You know, I just, I, you know, I'd really like to have a third child, or you know, I've got three, and I'd really like to have a fourth child, but you know, I just feel like I'd be hurting my my existing children to have another one." In other words. I, you know, if I've got this, I'm thinking of one woman who said, I've got two, and I'm devoting half of my attention to each of them. Now, if I have a third one, I'm sorry, but the best I'll be able to do is one-third of my attention, which cuts the amount of attention they'll have by 17%, from 50 down to 33. Well, you know, that, that, that this, I didn't ask her if her major was math in, in college or whatever, but I... I tried to say, look, you know, it's really not that mathematical or that simple. What happens is that as your kids grow older and as you have another child, the dynamic changes so much in your family that it's not like, oh, suddenly I don't have time for the older ones. It's like the older ones begin to interact with the younger ones, and the, what you have to look at is the overall family dynamic, because obviously when you have one child, it's just you and the child. It's one-on-one. And when you have two, it's, it's two, one or two parents on the two. And then when it's three, it's, it's the kids interacting with each other. Most families will have a child by the time they have a third one. Not always. We didn't. Our, we, when we had our third one, Linda, our oldest one's just about to turn four but not quite so so that was tough and and there's no i'm not trying to suggest 
that when you have a lot of kids fast, it doesn't get extremely difficult. We have a daughter who had twins last, and so she had five children under five, and no one in their right mind would say, well, that you know, you had middle management, your oldest ones could help out. Come on, they were all preschoolers. But in most families, by the time you have a third child, the older one is old enough to do some little things and to start feeling like, well, I'm the oldest one, I can help out or I can pick up or whatever. And then as they get a little older, that middle management really becomes a real thing. A seven or eight-year-old, particularly if it's a daughter, although I don't mean to be gender biased, but oftentimes little girls who are seven or eight are fantastic with little babies. And so what you're getting, it's a trade-off. Your time is spread more thinly as a parent when you have more children, but the dynamic between the children makes up for that to a large degree. And we always tell people that three was the hardest for us. After we had our fourth, they were old enough to start being part of the solution, and the dynamic of the family got more interesting, and I think more beneficial for the younger kids. Um, we have to be careful because, uh, honey, you're kind of sounding like you're advocating large families. Well, I am. Have another one. <laughs> if you're trying to decide whether to have another child, the answer is yes. That's, Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> that's what it's we always It's an individual think. answer. Well, we personally have had so much fun with our nine kids, and not every day. I mean, not every day in every way. I, when we had these little kids, I just thought, you know, the circle of life is so interesting. When every time I've gone into a daughter or a daughter-in-law who just had a new baby, they always look at me and say, how in the world did you do this nine times? But after our week with this three-year-old and this nine-month-old, my question is back to the parents. How in the world do you do this hour after hour, day after day, month after month, year after year? We did it, but it is so hard. It is it, it is different when you're older and and you're caring for children obviously you need well, to work first, as well and sure and the first two are the hardest for multiple reasons the, uh, one of the main ones being you don't have any experience you worry about everything with the first child right by the time the third or fourth one comes along we have a little thing we often do in our presentations where we we say if you want to know how experienced you are as a parent ask yourself one question in a minor crisis do you grab the kid or do you grab the camera? <laughs> <laughs> and I think things do change as you get more children and more children. It just becomes part of your routine. You're set up for it. And, and it's just quite amazing. I mean, when it gets really a lot harder is when the teens start going into um, some interesting situations. Not, you know, not horrible situations in most cases, but, but they're difficult decision-making situations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it really is interesting how the cycle of life changes as you start with these little ones and then you add on and then you think, oh, my gosh, it is so great. When we handed over those little kids to those five, the youngest two twins are 10, and the oldest one is 16, and honestly, it is so it was so fun to see them just go after them. They were so, and the children loved it too. It really makes such a big difference, and and they're, not every older child is enamored with a baby or says, "Oh boy, we're having a baby." But it really is fun to see the dynamic of these kids well, taking care of little kids. And it's so funny to hear, you know, kids in families, the oldest ones say, "Boy, I had a tough deal." 
you know, being the oldest, I had so much responsibility and so on. And then you hear the younger one saying, are you kidding? You had such a piece of cake. You, you had it so good. You had a little... Little brothers and sisters, I wish I had. That's what our youngest daughter always said. Oh, I wish I'd had little brothers and sisters. And these kids uh, that were tending the two cousins the other day, oh, here's the little brother I always wanted. Here's the little sister I always wanted and so on. But, Linda, let me go back to something you said a minute ago. Um, And I I said that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, totally tongue-in-cheek, that, hey, uh, there are a lot of people listening right now to this show who are, trying to decide or thinking about trying to decide, do I have another child? And um, there's two things that do worry me, and I'm just going to be, excuse me, kind of blunt about them. One is I worry sometimes that parents have their default switch turned off. In other words, I've got a child, I'll have another one when God on high tells me to or when I get inspired to or when some emotion moves me beyond doubt that I should have another one. In other words, the default switches off. They're not going to have another baby until something switches it on. I think I think it's actually better uh, to have the default switch on. In other words, to assume I think I would like another child if I get inspiration in that direction, if I think I can handle it, if I think you know, if I don't have something negative come into my life telling me not to have one. And I guess what I'm saying is when I hear someone say, well, I couldn't possibly have another child because I don't have another seatbelt in the car, or I couldn't possibly have another child because I'm being run ragged now by two and I can never handle a third one. Again, it's an individual choice for everyone, but my plea would be, don't decide not to have one based on a false premise. It's not going to be twice as hard to have the second one as to have one. It get the dynamic changes, and uh, I guess I sound like I'm advocating for big families, and I'm really not. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> make your decision based on your inspiration, not on some societal norm. Well, the false information that you're talking about a lot of times is the we've talked about this many times, that the things that keep popping up in the news, like it costs $350,000 to raise a child. Oh, I hate this. Over stories. and over and oh. over again. It is so crazy. I mean, assuming that you have to build a new room on your house, I don't know how they get that amount. Assuming they're sending them to Ivy League colleges and paying it for it themselves, I can't imagine how they can calculate that. Well, we, do, we, we I actually, don't know. Yeah, we researched that one time and got the components of the... This particular one was claiming it cost $400,000 to raise a child. And I did the research and looked into it. And, yeah, it was was assuming they'd have to build another room on their house. It was assuming they'd send their child to private schools. It was assuming that the child, their grocery bill would go up proportionately. In other words, if there's three people in the family, now they add another 33% to their grocery budget for the next one. And that's just nonsense. I mean, it ignores something that a business person would call economies of scale. And actually, the, the, the cost factor of raising another child should be pretty low on the list of criteria. 
And even even people say, well, how would I put them through college? Well, you know, there's lots of ways, believe me, and it doesn't hurt to have kids pay part of their own way to college and so on. So, again, I've got to be careful because I know I'm sounding like, have another child, have another child, have another child, and I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying don't let the norm of society say, oh, two is fine. I mean, if it is, if that's the inspiration you get, fine, but don't do it because someone else does it or says that's the ideal. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I think that we miss out a lot. I, I can't tell you how many times we finished uh, doing a seminar with a group of parents um, that moms come up to me and say, we should have had another child. We are done. We have two kids and we're done with our parenting. In two years, we're done. It's gone by like wildfire. But at the time, it just seemed so important to give them everything they needed to make sure that they had a you know a solid base and and that we had the financial uh, things that we needed. And I, it just makes me wonder sometimes if if we aren't duped into thinking that. It's something different than it really is. Well, and Linda, don't you think a lot of people, I mean, even on the front end of that, we, we run into so many couples as we travel and speak who are in their late 20s, early 30s, wanting to have a child someday, but, oh, we're not quite ready yet because we're not financially independent. We don't own our own house yet. We don't have the second car. We, we, we're waiting until we can handle this financially. Well, listen why not struggle a little on the front end and the saddest thing we run into are the parents who are in their late 30s trying to start a family and finding that it's not as easy as they thought so well i i laugh when i think about i mean really struggling with first children is part of the fun especially when you look back at it (laughs) but we were in boston with our first two children and in the middle of graduate school with yeah, no money. No money at all. We had uh, $2 that we spent at Haymarket Square on Saturday mornings, and our whole week food budget was $12. I think that kind of indicates how old we are. <laughs> that kind of gives you a clue. But um, it really is amazing what we did to make it work. And we have kids now who are living in this modern world, and and uh, we've talked about them before, who have five kids, have been traveling all over Europe. They have not lived in, in style, but they've lived adequately, and they've always had plenty of food. They always look like designer kids because they know how to go to garage sales and get what they need to to be just get not even just get by but to feel like they're really doing well now to end on a positive note and this is really the bottom line message we want to convey to you today um those of you that have several children and are, are feeling a little overloaded remember that there's this wonderful thing that a child can help another child. We used to have tutors and tutees. The older kids were the tutors. The younger ones were the tutees. Make some assignments. Sometimes an older child can teach things to a younger child better than you can as a parent. Make your family an organized thing. Have some middle management. Get through it and make the dynamic as exciting as it possibly can be with kids of different ages. And let's just close by saying the greatest thing about having kids is joy. It brings so much joy to your lives. There is nothing like it, even though it isn't every day in every way. So with that, we close and say thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week on Ayers on the Road.